Welcome back to Catacomb Synod Basics. We're strapped for time just a little bit here, so we're going to do a brief deep dive into three more articles in the Augsburg Confession that most of the Lutheran Church has completely forgotten. Let's go ahead and just jump right in. You can go to thebookofconcord.org if you want a free version of this to read. Here is Article 6 on the New Obedience. It is also taught among us that such faith should produce good fruits and good works, and that we must do all such good works as God has commanded. But we should do them for God's sake and not place our trust in them, as if thereby to merit favor before God. For we receive forgiveness of sin and righteousness through faith in Christ. As Christ himself says, so you also, when you have done all that is commanded, you say we are unworthy servants. Luke 17.10 The fathers also teach thus, For Ambrose says, It is ordained of God that whoever believes in Christ shall be saved, and he shall have forgiveness of sins, not through works, but through faith alone, without merit. That's from Ambrosiaster's first epistle to the Corinthians 1. Four. But I digress. This is one of the most important articles for the Catacomb Synod. Why? Because it's not being taught. Or it's being de-emphasized. As the Lutheran Church started, there was an emphasis on doing good works, but not for salvation. The formula of Concord even calls good works, the Christian life as it were, necessary. Not necessary for salvation, but a necessary fruit of our salvation. It is something that flows out of the soul that is saved. If this is not taught, the new obedience, if it is not taught, you have moral anarchy in the Lutheran Church. They did a study where they found that about 40% of the LCMS laity is perfectly fine with abortion. They're perfectly fine with the current worldly sexual morality around them. They have no qualms about it. Why is that? Well, because they're going to churches where the pastor does not preach the third use of the law. He does not incorporate the new obedience. A proper three-part sermon is law, gospel, response. The law convicts us. Absolutely. The gospel heals that conviction by saying our Lord Christ has bled for our sins and rose again for our justification. The gospel inspires our faith. The response is the now what? Now that I have been convicted of my sins, now that my conviction has been alleviated by the precious promises contained in the gospel, now how shall I live? What is my first step forward? If you don't include that response, that now what, that new obedience in your preaching, you leave the laity rudderless, without a direction. You've made them feel very, very good that they are forgiven of their sins, but then, unless they are a very mature Christian, they will go right back on Monday morning to moral anarchy. Unfortunately, thanks to the teachings of quote-unquote theologians like Gerhard Ferda and Paul Tillich, we have a lot of Lutheran pastors, even in confessional branches, that do not preach response. They do not preach the new obedience. They do not preach the third use of the law. In fact, I have been to Winkles 
with men who openly denied the third use of the law. That is honestly how we got here into our lamentable state. If you don't have the new obedience, if you do not have the third use of the law, you give the laity to the world. You give them to the world's morality. You permit them to be little antinomians running around. And what does an antinomian do? Almost invariably, without exception, they go after the world's morality. The world will teach them morality if the church does not. So the Catacomb Synod, in holding to Article 6 of the Augsburg Confession, rigorously preaches and teaches the third use of the law. We embrace it, and I understand people will look at that and they will say, oh, you're being a yucky little pietist, aren't you, telling people to do good works? Well, yeah. Yeah, I am. In fact, if you look at Article 6, it says... It is also taught among us that such faith should produce good fruits and good works, and that we must do all such good works as God has commanded. If God says it, we should do it. There are necessary works which a Christian must do, and that includes following his commandments and taking our Lord Christ's side. Unfortunately, if you say that in many Lutheran churches today, you will be booted out. You will be escorted out. They will try to destroy you, no matter how confessional they claim they are. The soft antinomianism running around and running amok in Lutheran churches today has wormed its way up to leadership, such to the point where they will say the gospel means I can soft-pedal real sins while the gospel says I can condemn fake sins. It's an ugly situation, but these men doing it, well, they've fallen for the world's morality too. They were brought up in it with their seminary professors teaching it to them. People will talk about Seminex left and right, but they'll forget that a lot of the students that went through that higher criticism seminary debacle, they were in churches before the Seminex episode happened. Subverted men were lording themselves over congregations, you see, and they stayed in their offices. A lot of them became seminary professors. I digress. Moving on to Article 7 of the Augsburg Confession. It is also taught among us that the one holy Christian church will be and remain forever. This is the assembly of all believers among whom the gospel is preached in its purity and the holy sacraments are administered according to the gospel. For it is sufficient for the true unity of the Christian church that the gospel be preached in conformity with a pure understanding of it and that the sacraments be administered in accordance with the divine word. It is not necessary for the true unity of the Christian church that ceremonies instituted by men should be observed uniformly in all places. It is, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. For the Catacomb Senate, this is good news. Don't let anybody out there tell you you have to go to a brick-and-mortar church in order to be part of church. Don't let these people say, my high places, my high places, what shall we do without my high places? 
let's be a little harsh here. There are people that say you can't do a house church because that's just not how we do things. Article 7 says if you have the gospel rightly preached and if you have the sacraments rightly administered, you have church. Your assembly is part of the assembly of the invisible church of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where church is. A group of Christians rightly preaching the gospel or listening to the gospel preached to them and rightly conducting the Eucharist. Maybe they even have a baptism for a baby among their friend group. If they do this in the park, the church is still there. Yes, there is the office of ministry. The office of ministry is important, which is why I offer training for anybody who wants to be a deacon. However, the congregation has the freedom to select such a man. That way, doing house church in a way that is sustainable, I, a qualified and ordained minister, provide the word preached, uh, or even written down. If you don't want to play the audio, you can just read the manuscript well, a deacon provides the sacraments. He is ordained to sacrament, including, by the way, confession. Confession and absolution is a sacrament, so deacons are permitted to run a church service, including confession and absolution. If any man has some quibbles about that regarding whether or not confession and absolution really is the third sacrament, Given that the Book of Concord says two different things there, the liturgy at verylutheran.biz is specifically written so that the forgiveness of sins is declared without the deacon saying, I therefore, a called and ordained servant of my Lord Jesus Christ, forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Understandably, somebody might be squeamish about saying that, so it is written, so that they don't have to technically say that. I digress. House churches are real churches. If indeed the gospel is taught in its purity and the sacraments rightly administered. You don't have to go to the local high place. You don't have to stare at the Asherah pole. You do not have to go under every green tree. And if somebody says I'm being too harsh with saying that, saying that some brick and mortar churches are treated like high places, well, what else would you call it? Oh, you'd say, oh, it's just like the temple in the Old Testament, the place which God has determined for the congregation to be. Great. I'm glad you found your dowsing rods and went into the woods to find the exact perfect place with your magic or whatever that you determined that God wanted this place to be to build a nice pretty church complete with altar facing ad orientum. Church is church. If there is gospel... If there is sacrament, there is church. Now that said, Article 8 does require us here in the Catacomb Synod to be a little humble. It reads, again, although the Christian church, properly speaking, is nothing else than the assembly of all believers and saints, yet because in this life many false Christians, hypocrites, and even open sinners remain among the godly, the sacraments are efficacious even if the priests who administer them are wicked men. For as Christ himself indicated, the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Matthew 23, verse 2. Accordingly, the Donatists and all others who hold contrary views are condemned. Donatism never died. 
Donatus in the 4th century was this bishop, this figure who claimed that any priest or bishop who turned in scrolls to the Roman authorities during periods of persecution was automatically defrocked, and therefore any sacraments he performed were illegitimate. People had to be rebaptized according to Donatist worldview. They had to be recommuned. They had never been Christians at all because of one erring priest, thus undoing the entirety of the Christian faith. Now, after Donatus died, the Donatists tried to persist a while as an organized group, but they fizzled out eventually as an organized group. The Donatist heresy, however, has always been around. This man has to be defrocked no matter what because I saw him using a yellow stole and that was not appropriate to the church season. He must secretly be a Gnostic. Therefore, we must cast him out. He is a devil. No, that's conspiratorial thinking. That is not substantive. The Donatists denied the word of God being preached, and they denied the sacraments rightly being administered on account of the wickedness or the sin of the servants of God. They would claim that you forfeit your ordination if you should sin in any way, shape, or form, or if you should hold to even the slightest heterodox doctrine. In the Catacomb Synod, that is not what we do. We have schismed now and avoided the rush on account of substantial theological disagreements with current Lutheran leadership and on account of the behavior of current Lutheran leadership. As they speedrun the collapse of American and Western Lutheranism, and as we find ourselves in situations where men who have not committed an egregious sin worthy of excommunication are illegitimately excommunicated, these men need somewhere to go. These families still need church, and they need church from a pastor, myself, preaching the word undiluted, free from worldly morality, and they must receive the sacraments as well. We are giving people a plan B. We are not conspiracy-minded, although I am certain that there are wicked conspiracies going all the way to the top. Sure, they are there. And there are wicked men in the clergy currently enacting wicked plans. However, it is on obvious, on its face, public sins and public errors in theology that leads us to say, you're wrong, we are forming a new synod. If we are going to be confessional, we must have the humility that says a lot of these Lutheran groups they still have valid sacraments. A lot of their pastors, though they hold to some errors that we find to be critical, are still preaching law, gospel, and response as they should. If I sound condescending, I apologize, but we are moral rigorists. We are pietists. If somebody accuses you of being a pietist because you want to obey our Lord Christ's commands and you want to take an active role in your sanctification, so be it. But part of that moral rigor includes the humility to say, well, I see the sin in what that man is doing. 
And I see the inappropriateness of a lot of their behavior, and you could easily tell me, and I would believe you, that there's some sort of ugly conspiracy going on. Sure. And a lot of these men probably have secret sins for which they would be defrocked if they do not confess, repent, and change for the better. But I am here to serve others. We are here for the care of souls. What we are doing must be from a place of love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ, giving them a church home when there is no legitimate church home for them to go to that is some brick-and-mortar building with a guy in a nice robe. We are here standing for something, not just opposing a bad thing. We cannot be Donatists. Instead, we must be Christians fulfilling our Christian duty. And that's the essence of the based church that we're building. Next week, we will continue on through the Augsburg Confession, going all the way through until we've finished up the readings that are required for deacons and lay leaders in the Catacomb Synod. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.